Yeah, you just have to talk to Jessica's picture. She's nicer than I am anyway. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on Ruby developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average Ruby developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired to get a $1,337 bonus if they accept the job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Ruby Rogues. Snap is a hosted CI and continuous delivery that is simple and intuitive. Snap's deployment pipelines deliver fast feedback and can push healthy builds to multiple environments automatically or on demand. Snap integrates deeply with GitHub and has great support for different languages, data stores, and testing frameworks. Snap deploys your application to cloud services like Heroku, DigitalOcean, AWS, and many more. Try Snap for free. Sign up at snapci.com slash rubyrogues. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use. Their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code RubyRogues, you'll get a $10 credit. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 228 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Jessica Kerr. Good morning. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that's Luca Guidi. Hi, all. You want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm a web developer, a developer from Rome, Italy, where I live with, uh, with my family. I've been always been interested in web development in my career because uh, I think that's, that's the future for uh, information technology. And I spent most of my career with, uh, with Ruby since 10 years now. I'm passionate about uh, open source and uh, personal interests like photography and stay away from the computer during the weekends. That's me, basically. Cool. Well, we brought you on today to talk about Lotus. Do you want to give us a quick overview of what it is, and then we can kind of dig in and see what it's about? Sure. That's basically my main focus right now on uh, on open source. I've uh, started thinking about a lightweight uh, version of a web framework for Ruby. I started hacking three years ago now, and rewrote those libraries uh, a few times, and the the main idea is it was to have standalone libraries for dealing with MVC problems uh, like persistence for model or uh, routing or actions for the HTTP, and then bring them together inside something that resembles Rails, but it's uh, a little bit more lightweight. I started this project because I've been a little bit frustrated by Rails. And instead of complaining, I wanted to prove myself that something different was possible. And then when I open sourced the, the project, I got a lot of feedback from the community and uh, I started dedicating more and more time. And then I recently quit my day job to focus on just on Lotus and to reach the 1.0 milestone in a few months. Wow, that's pretty exciting. How did you get to quit your day job and work full-time on open source? 
yeah, that's basically for now I'm, uh, I'm doing unpaid work just because it's something that I love. And for the last three years, when I started Lotus, I enjoyed the, more the time that I spend on it rather than doing a paid job. And I said, why not follow the passions? My passions just for a few months. I think uh, it's something doable if you save just a little bit of money uh, on, in advance and then you can focus on your dreams, on what you, it's interesting for you. And that's what I'm doing right now. And aside from that, I'm trying to, again, get away from my computer during the afternoons or during the night, which it wasn't possible for me having a day job and uh, an ambitious project like Lotus. So that's the thing. I mean, everybody can do it. And again, I have a family. It's just a matter of say, okay, that's enough. And let's do this. Awesome. So I'm curious, you know, I do a lot of Rails work. Uh, most of the applications I work on, I would say, are in Rails. What is it about Rails that you didn't like? Or what is it about Lotus that you wanted to see? That's basically what I call a, a flat MVC in the Rails. That means having... A, uh, skinny controllers and fat models try to overload all the MVC, MVC layers. I'm more advocating for with, with Lotus to keep your applications maintainable since they, they won and to not try to overload the MVC uh, layers once they going to explode. I'm talking about uh, models I've seen in my career models with a uh, 500 lines of code or more and the same thing was true for for the controllers so i'm trying to bet on uh, software maintenance and to make uh, lotus uh, in, and to bring and to bring in the in the discussion in the community uh, productivity versus versus maintenance that means not just focus on uh, on uh, gems that you can install in your in your application to to get your features out faster but to think, to sit and think, hey, uh, I w if I'm going to work on this code base on one year, on the next five years, is this uh, a sustainable pace in uh, do, um, for my application development? A sustainable pace. That's a great goal. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us what is it about Lotus that lets applications written in Lotus be more maintainable than Rails? Yeah, that's basically the, the thing is that uh, it tries to mark a clear separation between uh, the MVC components and inside the, each layer of them, uh, a clear separation of uh, the main roles. For instance, in the model, there is a separation between the persistence and uh, the entities, which are your basically your model domain classes, objects. And having this kind of separation helps to clarify uh, the intent of the single components and not have uh, a coupling between between those uh, those components. And it happened to me in the past that uh, running a Rails migration broke a web form because there is a tight coupling around the data. And for Lotus, it's totally different. It's more focused on the behavior that your components have and less about around data because uh, we are trying to put object-oriented and behavior in general use cases around uh, in the middle of, uh, of the focus of developers rather than focusing on the persistence and, uh, and data. That's one thing that I really liked uh, looking through the, you know, the code in the example and 
fiddling with Lotus a bit was that you you have the idea of entities and then you have your repositories and the entities are basically your models and the repositories are uh, the data sources. So, um, you know, you've got Postgres is in the example here where you've got basically a Postgres URL that, you know, that does whatever work. And the more I thought about it and the more I fiddled with it, the more I really liked it. And I know people have tried to do this with Active Record and and basically they use Active Record as the repository and then they use uh Ruby classes that hook into Active Record as kind of their model or entity. And the issues that I've seen with that are basically that there's not a good connection, I guess, or a good uh convention around connecting those entities to the repository using Active Record as the back end. And with this, the way that you have things pulled together it's really kind of pretty seamless. And I mean, there's a little bit of configuration you have to do rather than just a convention for hooking that up, but it takes away a lot of the magic and it makes a lot of this as automatic as it can be with still allowing you to be explicit about how you approach your, your model layer. Ooh, I really like that because yeah, when you remove that convention and yeah, it might be a little more verbose, but if someone can actually follow the code without being immersed in Rails lore, that's a big plus. Yeah, I think there are trade-offs there. I mean, you know, sometimes the Rails magic is nice because you just point it at the database and it works. But the flip side of that is, is that if the convention isn't what you need or if it's really kind of far away from what you need, then it's really painful to make it work the other way because you're basically fighting against a lot of assumptions that have been made about your code. Yeah, in general, my opinion about frameworks is that uh, uh, they can cover the most uh, common cases that a developer can have for for their application. And of course, conventions are great. But again, I wanted to give the possibility to developers to configure the behaviors that want to emerge. And for most of the time, the verbosity is also a tool, a self-documenting tool. For instance, there are places where the code is uh, lives on. And that is the convention for that Lotus offers for the 90% of cases. But then rather than instead of monkey patch Lotus in your application, you can just uh, change the configuration that it offers and it's uh, in your face. And uh, the bottom line is that explicit is better than magic because uh, it helps developers to not fight with, uh, with, uh, with the framework I- itself. And that's the thing. I totally agree. So one other thing I want to talk about here because if if people jump in and they start playing with lotus i mean it it is definitely a different flavor than rails um it's a different flavor from sinatra it's a different flavor from rota you know i don't know that i've used a framework that's quite the same as this in fact if there's any framework that i think or anything any coding that i've done that's anywhere similar to this i think trailblazer which adds a bunch of stuff to rails gets kind of close in some ways and in some ways it also reminds me of how you build iOS apps and, you know, in the way that they organize the code. One thing I wanted to talk about was uh, you have views and the views are not the templates. The views are actually a class that, uh, you know, sets up which view you're going to use or which template you're going to use and, uh, you know, can manage some of that. It, it, it almost feels like MVVM where it's a model view, view model, except you actually have controllers in here too. Do you want to explain a little bit of the structure there and the relationship between controllers and views in Lotus? 
Yeah, and that is the case to talk about conventions right now. That means uh, the the view is uh, there is a there is a structure in the naming of the views and the actions. So at runtime, if you have a home action, it will look for a home view. The view is a Ruby class that holds all the behaviors for for the presentation. And uh, then it can have one or more plates associated. That means uh, um, you can have, you can generate uh, HTML uh, output, JSON, XML, whatever. And the reason why the views are there is that I wanted to make the templates, which is an ERB file or a HAML file, as clean as um, possible for uh, the sanity of code maintenance. And because once you have the code, the presentational code extracted in a view, you can easily test unit test a view, and it's possible with uh, with Lotus. You can unit test a view, and you are sure that uh, the behavior, the presentational behavior, the conditionals, for instance, uh, for for the permissions of your applications, are well unit tested. And uh, that's that's it. So besides testing, what does it clean up on the view that is difficult in some of the other frameworks or things that you're going to use? Basically, because you have a place where to put uh, where to put presentational code, you are not tempted to clutter the templates. That's the main point. And uh, talking about uh, again about the relationship with the corresponding action, you have all the exposures. That means the a set of data that comes from the action. It's available inside the inside the view, and you can use inside this uh, this object. And you have a set of helpers, which are private methods. That means you cannot use something like format help, uh, formatting helpers, helpers in templates, because I wanted to avoid, again, I wanted to avoid the uh, cluttered, uh, cluttered templates. So again, the, the, the bottom line, bottom line is that it's for code maintenance. That means clear templates and testability of uh, presentational logic. Forgive my ignorance. In Rails, do you sometimes wind up with like code in the template, like conditionals and things? Yes, that's a, that's a, the the problem that I've seen uh, that I've seen in most Rails applications is that uh, most of the time presentational code is made uh, is made for for instance conditionals are made in templates and that creates uh, hard times to maintain that that templates and to test the the conditions where sensitive tests are are needed for instance uh, when it comes to talk about authorization of uh, resources if i can show or not uh, a button for for a user that's a common user or they are an admin or uh, or so on so that's that's the the thing that i wanted to offer uh, a place where to put the presentational logic yeah what what you see in rails is that i think traditionally a lot of that presentation logic would go into helpers but the helpers aren't scoped anymore to a specific request or a specific controller and so you wind up making all of that logic global, even if you don't need to. The other <laughs> issue is, is that you don't really have a good place to put presentation logic that you only need for one view anywhere that's convenient. And so you either wind up handling it in your controller or handling it in the template. And, you know, neither of those are really great places for it. And so if you have something like this, where this view acts as a presenter for your template, then you can put the custom logic in there and then it just behaves and does the right thing. 
because you're calling something that you have only exposed where you need it. That's nice. I do like the trend I'm noticing. React is another example of this for taking the code out of HTML, out of templates, and instead putting HTML in the code if we have to. Yeah. And I've definitely seen that on the front end where you're talking about, yeah, React or I've seen a lot of people doing it with other templating systems where they basically compile the information into HTML templates that they then, you know, they use through their JavaScript with Angular and Ember. Yeah. And then they just make convenient places in their directives or controllers or whatever routers in backbone where then, you know, that information is all scoped and neatly contained so that when you have to do something, it, it only really affects the areas that you've designated as uh, the area of concern for that piece of code. Yeah, and speaking of helpers, uh, that is another thing that I didn't like and uh, I wanted to, to change for, for others because they represent, as you said, they represent a global state. And uh, when something goes wrong, you don't know where to debug. And I want to make developer experience really pleasant. So if something goes wrong and you have a stack trace, trace to look at, you can be sure that with Lotus, the view is the only uh, context for the rendering of the template. So you have a good and the only starting point where, where to, to look at instead of digging inside the framework or digging inside the, the helpers that aren't a concept. They, there are, there are helpers in Lotus, but they are a different concept, uh, if compared with Rails. That's fantastic. Better error messages are so helpful. Oh yeah. Always. I hate to say always about code, but yeah. Well, pretty much. I mean, yeah, yeah. I we, can't we, think of an instance. We know one about the happy path is the common case, but that's only from the user perspective. From our yeah. perspective, <laughs> the happy path is rare. We get there and we stop. Yeah. But the errors are myriad. Totally. I also wanted to talk a little bit about the controllers. I mean, looking at this, they almost feel like rack apps where you have a class and you've exposed call on the controller. I don't know if that's your intent or if it was just a convenient way to use a convention in Ruby where um, if you expose an object that implements the call method that you can do interesting things with it. I wanted the lear learning path for, for developers to be sure, short at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And the controller layer wa was one of the, the first components that I, that I wrote. And uh, I said, hey, hey, if someone knows about Rack, should know about Lotus Actions. That's the bottom line for, for that. And the side effect is, uh, is that if you expose an object that accept that response to call, it can be a proc uh, or a lambda. And uh, that's, that's a side effect of that, uh, of that choice. But the main one is to have an easy onboarding for, for people because I believe uh, that having uh, a short learning path can help not just for Ruby developers to try it, but can help newcomers. For instance, people who are learning how to program to learn just a little bit about objects and then be able to use a lot of sections or the other components or other developers from other languages that are a little bit intimidated from the Rails magic and they have 
a ton of Java friends who are not using uh, Rails and Ruby in general because they don't understand a lot of our common patterns that we are used to because we, we live in this community since years now and we are used to understand all the conventions that are in the libraries that we, we see around. So I think uh, we should make life easier for, for those people. Uh, that's great. I love that that you're thinking about that, about the on-ramp for people who aren't just like you. We often take for granted how much context we have, how much we know that makes these things easier for us than it is for the rest of the world. So thank you. Sure. One other thing I noticed uh, working in Lotus was that the validations on, say, you know, in your example, you have a book and you have to create action, you know, the validations are in the controller, not in the model. Do you worry that you're going to have to repeat that logic in other places where maybe you have book parameters coming in from other sources? Lotus in general is uh, oriented, uh, uh, use cases oriented. That means I think of software and web development in general, not just with Lotus, like uh, a slice. Uh, for instance, uh, a user a user needs to complete an action, which is a use case, and it goes through the view and the and the action and down to the to the database. So I spotted this uh, this pattern that we tend to push validations inside the entities or the, the active record record models, whatever, and then uh, those validations are not universally true across our code base. And uh, I'll give you one quick example. Uh, in an application that I worked with, there was a user that can sign up and the password is mandatory, but this user can be also invited by the admin and the password there is not mandatory when you're going to persist. So we have two use cases and a different set of validations. So I wanted to expose validations where they, I think they are, really, really useful. That means in the server-side code, the outmost server-side code that can handle them. And in this case, they are in the in the actions. So there is no need to hit the database or try to hit database if at the beginning, if my parameter, the params that I see from the user input are not formally valid. And I'm talking about for instance, if uh, the age is uh, is not met for a user or uh, the password is not matching, all those kind of things, I think, can save a lot of CPU cycles if we reject bad input at the beginning of uh, of the use case. And then the the below layers uh, that an action can use can be sure that the the data is is valid and then can operate on it. That's the thing. It's a guard. It's like a guard inside the method. When we reject, the, we don't go further the expensive computation where we know that, for instance, the argument that we we received is nil. Yeah, and to be honest, you know, when I first saw it, I was like, that kind of feels right. But then, yeah, what what occurred to me was, but yeah, everywhere I take book parameters, I'm going to have to validate them. Is there a way to validate a collection? So let's say that somebody passes, you know, several book parameters. Uh, not yet, not yet, because I wanted to be sure that this was a valid, a valid choice. But uh, I'm thinking to be a little, to offer a little bit more options for for this kind of uh, of validations. 
One other thing that I, I really like about your example was that you start out with a test and then you you say, okay, now we're going to make this test pass. And then you start out with the next test and you're, you're going to make that test pass. Is there a reason why you approached it this way? It looks like you're using Capybara. Yeah, because I, I noticed that most of the tutorials out there, they just cover production code. And then when you're new, especially with the, with the languages that you barely know, then you have hard times to understand how to test things. And uh, with a language like Ruby, where uh, you use tests both for testing the behaviors and, and uh, at the same time you test uh, that the, the um, software is formally right. Uh, because you don't have a compiler to save, uh, to save, uh, to rescue the situation. I wanted to, in general, with others, I want to put a lot of emphasis on the BDD and, and testing, and testing in general. And yes, uh, the example reports Capybara. That is a personal opinion that is leaked inside, inside a lot of decisions. Again, I'm a fan of BDD. That means, uh, when I start writing a feature, I use uh, I use Capybara and uh, to prove that the soft the, that the feature is working, and then I go down uh, writing the the innermost level of um, of tests that are unit tests. So that's a personal a personal opinion that I've tested a lot in in my career in the recent years of my career, and uh, and it proven to work great. And uh, I wanted to offer as a solution for Lotus. I'm curious, what do you love about BDD? Confidence. Confidence in one word. Yeah, in one word. That That's the thing, because uh, most of the time, if you just uh, have a unit test, you lose the big picture and you are not sure that your application is working correctly. You have just the proof that your single components are doing what you want to do, but then it's the story is different when they, they play together and you discover... Uh, flows in your design, stupid mistakes that may happen during during development. So again, it gives me if the um, the feature tests with Capybara passes, it gives me the confidence to to ship the code in production. One other thing I want to just throw out there is that a lot of people have this aversion to end to end tests, and uh, with Capybara, if you aren't running through like Selenium or Phantom JS or something, those tests actually run over Rack Test, which creates its own interface that it makes the calls through. And those tests run actually pretty quickly. So uh, in my experience, they're they're usually well worth writing. If you're doing like some uh, single page app or something that has a lot of front end processing, that's when your end to end tests or, you know, acceptance tests get expensive. And so this is a really good example of how to test an application written in Ruby in a framework based on Rack. That's great. Yeah, the behavior-driven design, it totally helps you uh, find those bugs because I, I agree with you, Luca, the bugs are usually at the seams. They're between mm -hmm. the components, not within them. Also, I think that kind of testing gives you, when you're looking at the test, it gives you a much better perspective of why you're doing any of this. Yeah, it's not just why you're doing that, but again, it helps um, because you are looking, uh, you are putting yourself in a user's shoes. You understand the choice that you make day, day by day in design between your components. Again, it's more about boundaries rather than components themselves because a component 
can have a decent design, decent design. If you look at it in isolation, you say, okay, whatever, it's, it's a, an object, it's a class, it's whatever. But then when you surround that object with the collaborators, the ground changes a lot. And then you discover if your design is, is good or not. And that's the thing that happens for me with, uh, with BDD. Yeah, that's true. A design is only good if it's good in its context. I also love Chuck's point about how maybe you hate integration tests because they're slow, but if you move the test boundary down just a little bit so that going over the network is not inside your test boundary, you can do a lot more testing faster. Yeah, but rack test helps a lot uh, with uh, speed up your integration tests. But sometimes, again, if you your application do a heavy use of JavaScript, and uh, most of the time we don't test JavaScript, it's the only way to check that to again to prove that uh, that it works. And sometimes I had I have to confess that I I was in a rush. Uh, it happened lately. I was in in a hurry to ship one feature and uh, PhantomJS was just acting. Uh, I, I don't know what happened. It crashed the, my, my Ruby VM and then I discarded the test. But the, then the, the second thing that I rely a lot on are um, unit tests for u- use case service objects. Because if you are not able to prove that the whole stack works fine for some reason, you can understand that at least the business logic works by testing the, the the service objects, and that's the other the other thing that gives me confidence when when it comes to to talk about shipping features in production. I have another question about the API for Lotus. Just looking at the models and kind of fiddling with this, uh, I never could quite figure out how to build either entities that referenced each other. So for example, you have associations that kind that are kind of magic and automatic in Rails. And so yeah, I didn't see associations. The other thing that I, I see that could be very powerful with Lotus and the way that it does entities is sort of a composite object. And I've done this before where you have like a user and maybe a profile. And so you, you know, you might have some entity that's like a user with profile and it has just a few other convenient things that you wouldn't necessarily need if you just had the user or just had the profile. Is there a way to do associations and or uh, some kind of composed object or composed class? Uh, associations are right now in the making. We, we supposed to ship with this, this uh, release of today, but then we had to, to postpone with, um, with the next release because uh, we wanted to a little bit to test a little bit more more this feature and then aggregates was something that I, I was thinking for for a long time but that I haven't formalized yet uh, an API an API for that and uh, it's something really interesting to to investigate in the, in the near future one other thing that occurs to me is that the way you have the model set up it might be nice to pull something like this into rails you know, and I think it would be relatively painless. Of course, I may be wrong on this to pull it into Rails and not have to write a whole bunch of glue code. So, is there a separate gem for just the model logic? Uh, no, it isn't really. There isn't a gem for that because, um, again, the API is uh, is uh, is young. I'm trying to take a slow approach on API because even we are under one point zero. 
I respect uh, developers, uh, developers' patience, and they are willing to hack with uh, with Lotus. And uh, I didn't want to to change too much the mm-hmm. the API. So once we reach a stable API, that again should happen in a, in a couple of months. We want to focus in, on two things. One is the ecosystem. For instance, we had uh, in the issue, in the past we had issues with New uh, Relic. Right now, we are debugging one issue with, with Pry, the debugger, and so on. So we want to focus on make uh, uh, Lotus not a happy island in the Ruby community and the Ruby ecosystem, but to help with um, to be more. Uh, more usable outside of the Lotus itself. Yeah, for instance, if you want to deploy on on Roku, there are progress to uh, make Lotus a good Ruby citizen. So that's something that we will see in the future uh, for sure. But not, I'm not sure about the, the Rails integration. I mean, I want to focus on the core components of Lotus for for now, and I see this this kind of thing as as a third part gem. If someone wanted to help with Lotus, what could they do? Right now, play with it. That's the thing, because uh, we are almost done with the features and we want to understand if our choices are good or not, if they make sense. And uh, we have already big companies that are trying to build stuff with, with Lotus. They deployed in production and we got feedback from them and we want to get more and more feedback in the, in the near future to criticize us, criticize the choices, and uh, spot the problems that there are for sure in the in the, in the software because it's still it's uh, it's still young. So first thing is uh, to try it, try to break it, and play with it, hack, and try to understand if it uh, it makes sense. The second thing is about companies or brave developers, again, we have a few of them, is to use Lotus for something not critical right now, because again, we are not at 1.0. And for instance, something like a, a small service, a small um, internal service to play with it and uh, to see if it's good or not. If uh, the developer experience and the deployment experience, the runtime experience is good for them or not. That's the thing. Feedback, feedback, feedback. By the way, I just want to point out on Coraline's behalf that there is a contributor code of conduct, and I know that's a big deal. Thanks for contributing to the community this way as well and and letting people know that there is a certain level of expectation as far as the way we treat each other. Yeah. If someone does try Lotus and they have some feedback for you, where should they put it? We have a forum which is discuss.lotusrb.org, uh, dot, uh, and there is a, uh, a Gitter chat for uh, where we discuss all day long about Lotus, and uh, we offer help to people who are stuck with with uh, some problem. And they are both linked in the readme's of all the gems. Thanks. One thing you mentioned was that with Rails, people are encouraged to just download gems like crazy to get their features out. If people are using Lotus and the spirit that you intended, do you think they would download fewer gems? When you install Lotus, you just install a few gems. And I encourage you to to do that and see how few gems you you get for more or less the same features if compared with with Rails. Because I say no 
tons of times to contributors who want install gem for, for something internal. So it's not just about a technology. It's about a mindset. That means most of the time I've seen uh, former colleagues to, to ins just install a gem. That means uh, install a lot of runtime code, uh, make uh, your CI times slower, your uh, bundle times lower for just a couple, literally a couple of lines of code that you needed from the gem. So I want to advocate to pay more attention on what we install because we are kind of adopting a kid, a, a child. Uh, and if the, because Ruby rely a lot of volunteer uh, work from the community, if the maintainer of the, the gem that you, uh, that you install lose interest in the project, you are stuck and I've seen this, this problem a lot, especially when you, you need to upgrade, to upgrade a bunch of them. So I want to advocate that to be more conscious on what you put in your application. And of course, if you need 5% of a gem, you can just write yourself. If you need 60%, 70%, of course, for your sanity, gem install full. And that's, that's my philosophy. I think that's great. I think uh, one of the dangers in the Ruby community is the tendency to just install gems willy-nilly. It's easy to do, but there are consequences that you don't see until much later. Running other people's code. I, I love what you just said about downloading a gem. It's like adopting a child. <laughs> it really is. Those responsibilities, they don't end with the download. They end only when you remove that code from production. Is that like the saying, there's no such thing as a free puppy? Yeah. You have to, you have to feed it yeah. and take care of it. And, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, ultimately you're responsible for your app working, right? So you can, you can file a bug on whatever gem you pulled in to add functionality. But at the end of the day, I mean, for my clients, they don't care. If I pull in a gem and it has a bug and it's not doing what it's supposed to do, it's my fault. It's not the gem maintainer's fault. I can't pass the buck. And that gem is something that everyone who goes to maintain your code has to understand. Yep. If you're familiar with it already, that's free for you, but costly for anybody else. Yeah. The flip side of that, though, is that there are gems that add, you know, convenient functionality that you don't have to do a whole lot of work to get to. But yeah, you have to be aware of the other trade-offs. And I think a lot of times we ignore those. Yeah. If you need that 5%, cut and paste if you have to. Ooh, that's so evil. I'm just kidding. <laughs> at least then you own the code, right? Yeah, at least then you have exactly the code you want. And hopefully you like read it. Maybe you even cut and pasted the tests. That would be the industrious bit. Ooh. I wish instead of having to add a dependency to my project, I could just get the code, get the tests of like one function at a time. Anyway, I think Luca's uh, philosophy on Ruby is really constructive. And I'm, I'm glad you're encouraging that. I, I just, I love the ways that we can go in and kind of play with the way that we organize our, our thoughts around this. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, we're writing web apps that people can use, whether they're written in Rails or Sinatra or Rhoda or, you know, some other language or, I mean, it. but because it's a different way of thinking about it and a different way of solving these problems, we can use it and then we can come up with better ways of organizing our own code, even if we're not going to wind up using Lotus. Yeah, learn some of what Luca learned with all mm -hmm. of this work building it. What have you learned building this, Luca? Oh, a lot of things. Uh, for instance, uh, from the technical perspective, that um, it's really, really hard. 
to write uh, correct software with Ruby. That means uh, mm -hmm. uh, Ruby is a great language. It's so expressive, and uh, at the end of the day, I love it. But sometimes there are some pitfalls or uh, some implicit behaviors in the in the language that you need to test while building uh, a framework like Lotus. Because if you don't test those kind of things, for sure there will be a bug in a few months. Uh, for instance, uh, if you expose a hash or array. Uh, with a accessor, you need to make sure that uh, the readers, the accessors, the outside code, let's say, it doesn't mutate that uh, that hash. And it's something that the 90% of the Ruby developers that I know keeps forgetting that hash and hashes and arrays are are mutable from from the outside of an object if you test them. So if you expose you a hash of informations you need to duplicate so it's not it doesn't mutate internally and this this is really really hard to to remember and we are not educated the average ruby developer is not educated in my experience of course it's not he is he or she is not educated to this kind of of attention and from um, a human perspective is that uh, running alone is, is so tempting but running together it slows down but it makes you a better person and at the end of the day gives you a better a better software and probably i will give i will give a talk about my experience with uh, with the lotus and managing uh, open source communities and it's a matter on uh, how you communicate your philosophy about gender diversity about paying attention on those uh, details that are really important uh, really important values that we want to communicate to the community because uh, open source is not just software but it's uh, the community around it's the politics that you you get across your users that's so true i mean we like to think that software is just code but it's not just code it's the people who use it the people who write it yeah it's all of us what is your philosophy uh, my philosophy about software it depends on the community that surrounds the, the surrounds it i'm talking about especially i'm talking about uh, open source uh, if you make it right you can grow your community with uh, with different values and this is something that you can observe observe on uh, several technical communities i love Ruby community because it's filled of really, really nice people. I think that there is room for improvement to feel everyone welcomed and safe inside the community. And if you look from this perspective, software itself is just a detail because it's more about the, the people and not about the code. That's the main reason why I decided to open source Lotus early on and trying to embrace this philosophy and build the community with the, with this philosophy to prove that uh, it's, it's possible to have nice values and uh, decent software, let's say. <laughs> Thank you. So what's coming next for Lotus? What are the features you're adding in at this point? Associations between entities. Uh, we are pulling in uh, the mailer, uh, which was part of the Rails Girl Summer of Code. We were a technical partner and were two students from Coimbra, Portugal. 
who implement that uh, mailer gem from scratch. So thank you them. And uh, we were a lot excited about this thing. The other feature that we are working on is uh, the integration for the assets. And uh, that's it, basically, because we want to focus on code stability. We don't want to pull inside other features. And uh, we are looking to, to make it more robust and uh, to make the path to 1.0 a little bit shorter than we were planning at the beginning, because meeting people at the conferences, uh, they are demanding a lot for LAS 1.0. And it's a catch-22 situation because they don't want to use because it's under 1.0, but we demand for, for feedback from them. So we want to be brave and uh, release 1.0 once it's stable enough in a few months. And then we can add the features that we have had to postpone in those months, for instance, uh, WebSockets. I came out with a solution for WebSockets, but I'm not happy with that. It's not scalable. And uh, I decided to keep on hold and uh, add it after 1.0 because we want to offer something that we truly believe can work in production rather than ship it and being not responsible for our developers. The other day that's coming for Lotus is a hack day for collecting feedback. We want to help by the end of the year. We put on a landing page for that and uh, to collect people who want to join this, this hack day. So if I heard a lot of developers that had, uh, that keep telling me, Hey, I want to play a lot with Lotus, but I, I don't have the time. So I want to eliminate this excuse and organize this uh, hack day where they can play with Lotus for a day long, building something uh, to ship in, in production in, in, uh, in one day. So we can have uh, a lot of developers to try it. We can have the social aspect. We can have feedback. And that is uh, crucial to me to as a path for uh, 1.0. All right. Well, I'm excited to see where you go with this. Yeah, it's uh, exciting. I, I mean, I was thinking uh, in the begin at the beginning, I was thinking to, to wait for a long time before 1.0 because uh, I wanted to not change every year the API of the main components because of the my focus on maintenance but i thought that probably was a it was a a brave a brave solution to have 1.0 soon out and and see what happens i'm a little bit scared but it will work great i think great thank you so much for all the work you've put into this for running a community consciously and for taking time off work to Bring Lotus to 1.0. Yeah, it's a pleasure because uh, I believe in uh, open source, I believe in communities, and uh, it's a dream for me right now to be. It's it's also a privilege for me to to work on that, and I'm happy to be focused just just on that. And I hope that it could be a nice experiment for for the community to have. So, and thank you to to you uh, for having me today. If people want to follow up with uh, the project or with you or give Lotus a try, what should they do? Uh, there is the website that's lotusrb.org. Uh, there we have uh, a mailing list to follow with uh, 
with the, with the updates. We have the chat. We have the forum. We have Twitter, and everything is uh, is reachable from uh, from the main website. We have a, a blog there, so there are several channels where uh, people can get um, up to date with with the progress we are making during those months, and uh, we have uh, guides for uh, for all the components and the ha- that helps to write uh, the first Lotus application in uh, 30 minutes or so with all the explanation of how to test it and so on. All right, then before we get to the picks, I just want to acknowledge our silver sponsor. This episode is sponsored by CodeSchool. CodeSchool is an online learning destination for existing and aspiring developers that teach us through entertaining content. They provide immersive video lessons with in-browser challenges, which means that each course has a unique theme and storyline and feels much more like a game. Whether you've been programming for a long time or have only just begun, CodeSchool has something for everyone. You can master Ruby on Rails or JavaScript, as well as Git, HTML, CSS, and iOS. And more than a million people around the world use CodeSchool to improve their development skills by learning or doing. You can find more information at codeschool.com slash rubyrogues. Jessica, do you have some picks for us? I have one pick. I really, really like the game Threes on my iPhone, and it's probably available for Android and on the iPad. And I've always liked it. It's kind of like 2048, only better. It's like... 2048 is a copycat of threes and threes is a little harder and way more interesting. And it's just a beautifully created game because the numbers, it's just like you put two numbers together and they make bigger numbers, but the numbers have personality and the music is really good. And the little numbers, they like talk to you and say, hello. It's (laughs) a game that someone put a ton of love into. It's a simple game with, character and passion and just as a creator of software i really appreciate this game for all those little touches that's it that's my pick all right uh i've got a couple of picks a few of them are things that i've got going on one is is that i've been connecting with a lot of people over twitter and linkedin basically i mean just having direct message chat kind of things with twitter and linkedin so if you want to connect with me on those i have just been really enjoying like I said, making connections and, and, and learning about who people are. Um, you can also go to Ruby Rogues slash 15 minutes. That's Ruby Rogues slash one five minutes. And you can get 15 minutes of my time. And I, I just been hopping on and talking to people. I've been trying to get to know people personally, personally as much as you can in 15 minutes and also find out what you like about the shows that we put together here at devchat.tv. And so I can't say enough good things about our listening audience. We have such great people listening to this show. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to shout out to everybody that I've had the chance to talk to, especially the people who are pretty new to development, because I know that uh, some of you were a little bit intimidated to talk to me. And hopefully I was able to seem somewhat human when we talked. <laughs> you know, I, I really just appreciated all of the feedback and just to be able to get to know some of the people who listen to the show. I'm also pulling together Rails Remote Conf. So I did Ruby Remote Conf back in June. And I'm going to be doing Rails Remote Conf. It's going to be November 5th through 7th. And you can get the details at railsremoteconf.com. And uh, if you use the code ROGUES, then you can get uh, 25% off. The early bird tickets are going to be available through October 5th. They'll be $100, and then they go up to $200. So you want to get your uh, tickets pretty soon here. So anyway, go check that out. And finally, so back when I was spending money I didn't have... (laughs) I backed the Pebble Time Kickstarter campaign and I just got the watch in the mail 
It's a smart watch. It's kind of like the Apple Watch. It doesn't do like the fitness tracking and stuff, but uh, it does the notifications on your wrist. And there are a bunch of apps in the App Store that interface nicely with uh, Pebble Time. It also hooks up with like RunKeeper and a few other apps that I already have on my phone. So anyway, I've really been digging it. Um, I've had it for about two days and uh, it's really nice. Comes with a nice leather band. I actually backed it to where I get a like a, a metal band, but I haven't gotten that yet. Anyway, I'm really, really liking it. I also see why people would like the Apple Watch since the integration is a little bit more seamless there. But yeah, that's what I've been playing with the last day or so. And like I said, I'm I'm really, really enjoying it. So uh, I'm going to pick that too. Luca, what are your picks? I've got a couple of picks as well. One is related to Ruby, which is MicroRB, which is an initiative that Piotr Solnik put online uh, last year. Uh, it's a movement about... Uh, small and focused gems, gems that uh, that are uh, under 500's line of code. They are really tiny focused and they do just one thing and do it well in the Unix philosophy. And uh, it's uh, it's something that uh, uh, deserves attention in our community because it, it gives example of, uh, of great code. The other pick that I have is about a painter. He, he is a Vietnamese painter but he lives in the States. His name is Dewey Huin, and uh, I'm enjoying his paintings lately. My wife discovered him, and we got a couple of paintings of him, and I, when I need to relax or focus a little bit, I just lose myself in, the, in those paintings, and I'm really, really enjoying his, uh, his style. Very cool. All right, well, thank you again for coming, Luca. Thank you for having me. It was a great conversation, and hopefully some folks will go check out Lotus and let you know what they find. Yeah, I hope you are really, really welcome to, to talk with me and with the, with the rest of the team. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join the conversation with the rogues and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at rubyrogues.com slash parlor. 